My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. My name is Pastor Mark. I'm glad to be here this morning. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We're going to continue uh, with what we were talking about last week. Uh, if you remember last week, we were discussing our Christian purpose in life or the purpose of the church, but our Christian purpose in life. And that is to spiritually enrich the nations, to enrich those around us. Uh, it's, it's another way of saying that our purpose in life is, is discipleship, to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus. And disciple making is really a spiritually enriching ministry when you think about it. You know, it starts, first of all, by connecting people to a relationship with a God who loves him. That's evangelism. We share the good news um, and we invite people to trust in Jesus Christ. And then after that, we help them to grow in their relationship with God and with others. They learn who they are. They learn how God has gifted them. They serve and eventually bringing them to a place where they're leading other people in a growing relationship with him as well. <clears throat> so our purpose is a spiritually enriching ministry to be spiritually enriching to those around us. And if you remember last week, we took a look at the story from the gospel of John chapter two It's called the cleansing of the temple. And in that story, uh, Jesus is paying a visit to Jerusalem. Uh, the Passover is drawing near. It was at the beginning of his earthly ministry. And when he arrives at the temple, he is immediately angry with what he finds there. If you remember the court of the Gentiles, uh, this is the place where the nations would gather or they could gather to worship Yahweh. And when Jesus arrives, he finds out that the court of the Gentiles has been turned into a large open air market. There's cattle and, <clears throat> and doves and sheep that are being sold. Uh, there are uh, currency exchange tables in place, meeting the currency exchange needs of the hundreds of thousands of people that would be coming into to Jerusalem during the Passover. And when Jesus saw this, he was immediately angry. As you know, he, he made a whip, he drove everyone out, um, and he said, you know, to stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And the reason why he was so angry is because God's people were hindering the worldwide worship of God. I mean, this is the place where God's people, where, where the nations would gather to worship Yahweh, the court of the Gentiles. And God's people had filled it with commercial activity, uh, leaving no space for the nations to worship God in, in, at the temple. And so Jesus was upset with this because their purpose in life was to spiritually enrich the nations. If you remember, Israel had been blessed like no other nation had been blessed. 
Uh, it all started with the calling of Abraham. And God told Abraham, through you, um, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. Eventually, you know, ultimately, he was talking about Jesus Christ. But he also laid out for the, the purpose for Abraham and his descendants. They were to be a blessing to other people. And then God gave them covenants. He gave them promises, which he called covenants. He gave them the word of God, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And, of course, the greatest gift that he gave them, the greatest blessing, was the blessing of his presence. He was living in the tabernacle. He was living in Solomon's temple. He was there among his people. But the blessings were never designed to be self-contained. God wanted, if you want to use a financial term, what God had deposited with his people was to be reinvested in the nations for their profit, for the benefit of the nations. They were to reinvest those spiritual blessings into other people to spiritually enrich them, to bring them to a place where they not only believe in Yahweh, but they love and they enjoy him. You know, let the nations be glad. That's what we read in Psalm 67. Let the nations be glad. And that was their purpose in life. But if you remember, in the New Testament, uh, God's people despised the nations. They despised Gentiles. Uh, Generally speaking, they they, uh, were arrogant. They were self-righteous. They despised the nations around them. And they especially despised being under Roman rule. You see, they viewed Rome as a political problem rather than a spiritual opportunity rather than a disciple-making opportunity. And, and so they despise the nations. And that kind of attitude, you know, when we despise people or we you know, despise a certain class of people or a certain uh, nationality or a race of people, uh, when we despise people like that, we are less likely to be concerned about their spiritual welfare. We are less likely to share the gospel with them. We are less likely to disciple them. Uh, We're less likely to rejoice when they rejoice, to weep when they weep. Uh, We are less likely to engage them with good works, good works of of mercy and compassion, uh, kindness and gentleness and love. See, that that kind of attitude, um, if you want to borrow a leadership term, that kind of attitude does not add value to other people. We're not an asset to their life. We're not enhancing, we're not enriching their life with the blessings that God has given us. And that is the, the call. That's one reason why Jesus was so upset, because here's what's happened. You've got this court of the Gentiles. They filled it with with commercial activity and the nations were at a spiritual disadvantage. I mean, where else are they going to worship God? This was the space that was laid out for them. This was the place they would come and worship. You see, when God's people are not fulfilling their purpose in life, when they're not spiritually enriching, enriching the nations, the nations are at a disadvantage. They're at a disadvantage when God's people are not reinvesting their blessings into their life. You remember Romans chapter 10. Paul said, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes on to say, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? See, this is what's going on in, in, in the story that we looked at last week. The nations were at a disadvantage because God's people were not properly using their blessings. They were not properly investing those blessings in the life around them. And so Jesus was extremely upset with this. And then you also remember the church of Laodicea. 
Jesus was upset with the church in Laodicea because, again, like any other church, they had been blessed with all kinds of spiritual blessings, you know, eternal life. They had the Holy Spirit, they had spiritual gifts, they had the Word of God, they had all of these blessings, but they were not reinvesting those blessings in the community around them. And as a result, Jesus said, you're neither hot nor cold. He said, you're not a healing presence to your community, and you're not a refreshing presence either. He said, you're lukewarm, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. See, God has called us when God has created a world that is to be productive. God has created a world that is to be productive. If you remember the, the, the creation story in Genesis 1, chapters 1 and 2. Things like the soil, the animals, the birds, uh, the, the fish of the sea. Everything was designed to be productive, to be fruitful, multiply. You remember he said to the soil, he said to, uh, to let, you know, let vegetation happen or let vegetation appear. And you had these self-perpetuating trees and plants that were formed. And he said to the fish in, in, in the sea and the birds of the air and the animals on the land, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And the same thing to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He put them in the garden to cultivate the garden. He's also talking about procreation. What God has created is to be productive. He created a world that is to be productive. And the same thing that goes on in the natural world is what goes on in the spiritual world. God has given us this new life in Jesus Christ, and it is to be productive by bearing fruit. First John chapter 3, it talks about God's seed abiding in us. That's what happens when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God's seed abiding within us. And what happens when you plant a seed? Right? It grows and it produces more fruit. If it's a fruit tree, it produces fruit. You eat the fruit, you take the seed, you plant it again, and it grows even more. See, God has created a world that is to be productive. And the same thing with this new life in Jesus Christ. He has created spiritual life within each and every one of us. And we are to take that life and reinvest it into the lives of others for their spiritual benefit. We take the fruit that we are to produce. And here's the fruit that we, we are called to produce. In Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. In other words, God doesn't outlaw this kind of fruit in our life, right? Because this fruit enhances the lives of other people, right? This fruit helps other people. This fruit enriches the lives of other people. Romans 13 10 you remember talking about love Paul said that love does no wrong to a neighbor see when our words and our actions are characterized by love that enhances the life of other people that enriches the life of other people the opposite of that is what hatred anger you know sinful anger whatever it may be these are the things that hurt people these are the things that tear families apart and communities apart. These are the things that cause destruction. But this kind of fruit, this is what brings life, life abundantly. Remember, Jesus said, I've come to give life and to give it abundantly. And so this is the kind of fruit. This is how we enrich our communities and enrich the nations around us. We are called to bear fruit, uh, this kind of fruit in our life that makes an impact on others. Now, here's the question, though. How do we bear this kind of fruit in our life how do we bear this kind of fruit on a daily basis and on a weekly basis well jesus described it as being the abiding life abiding in him that is the key to producing this kind of fruit in our life look at what jesus said 
in John chapter 15. He said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser and every branch in me that does not bear fruit. He lifts up and every branch that does bear fruit. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So we see here in this passage, first of all, we see that uh, the father is the vine dresser. Uh, Jesus is the vine and believers, Christians, you and I, we are the branches and the fruit that is produced is the fruit that is naturally produced because of the abiding relationship in Jesus. Okay. Father's the vine dresser. Jesus, Jesus, of course, is, is the vine. We are the branches and the fruit that we produce is the fruit that is naturally produced because of our abiding relationship in Jesus. All right. So he says in verse two, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up every branch in me that does not bear fruit. He lifts up in verse two. So we see, first of all, here's how the father goes to work. Now, unfortunately, one of the most unfortunate things is that some translations read at this point in verse two that God takes away the unproductive branch. Some translations say God takes away the unproductive branch. But the word that that Jesus, the word that's being used here can also mean to lift up. See, God is not the vine dresser is not taking away branches that are unproductive. What Jesus is talking about in verse two is that the father lifts up the unproductive branch. Now, what he's talking about here is a first century springtime practice where the vine dresser would go into the vineyard and he would lift up from the ground. He would lift up unproductive branches and he would tie them to a trellis to preserve them and to nurture them so that they could produce fruit for the following season. See, in in, uh, in, in Israel and Palestine, in that area, the branches, the, the grapevines, they were just allowed to, to grow along the ground. The vine dresser would come along. He would see the branch that's not producing fruit. And instead of taking the branch away, he lifts up the branch. You see, it's not a, a form of discipline or judgment. It's actually a blessing for the branch. He picks it up. He ties it to a trellis. And that allows the branch to grow until it reaches a point that it can start producing fruit of its own for the following season. And what Jesus is is referring to here, what he's talking about here, he's talking about a Christian that has not yet grown enough to start producing the kind of fruit that God is looking for. See, that's the kind of Christian we see that could be a new believer. It could be someone who is still young in the Christian faith. It could be a long time Christian that for some reason has not grown in the Christian life. And what we see here is the fatherly care of the vine dresser. He's not going into the vineyard and cutting off branches and throwing them away. He's actually coming alongside in his fatherly care. He's lifting up the the branches, the unproductive branch. And he's putting it in a fruit bearing position. That way it's allowed to grow uh, to the point to where it starts producing its own its own fruit. And, you know, when you think about young believers, when you think about the Christian life, you know, when we come to faith in Christ. And for those of you who have been Christians for a while, you probably had the same experience. Come to faith in Christ. Time is needed. Right. Time is needed. There, there's there's a growth we need to know and grow and understand not only in our knowledge about the Bible, but how to properly apply the Bible. 
Uh, we need time to cultivate our relationship uh, with Jesus. We, we need time to understand who we are in Christ. And when you, you take that knowledge and you combine it with enough time, growth starts happening. And you grow and you grow until you reach a point that you finally start producing the kind of fruit that God is looking for. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. The father comes along and he lifts up the branch and he puts the branch in a fruit bearing position. And then he goes on to say that every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Tells his disciples already you are clean because of the word that I have I have spoken to you. So the father comes in, he does this lifting, he does the pruning. And we know that this is an expression of his fatherly care in our life. But here's the question. Here's another question. How does he lift up the branch and put it in a fruit-bearing position? How does he prune believing branch or fruit-bearing branches so that they, they can produce more fruit? How does he actually do this in our life? Well, the way that he does this is through our abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, through the abiding life. As we abide in Jesus as Christians, he does his lifting and his pruning work through that through that relationship. See, to abide in Jesus means that we have fellowship with him. Okay, when you're in fellowship with someone, uh, you have mutual interest. Um, And so when we are abiding in Jesus, we have fellowship with him. Now, we're not talking about relationship. Okay, we're talking about fellowship. And fellowship is something that happens after the relationship has been established. You see, you have a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. And after that relationship has been established, then we have fellowship with Jesus. And the basis of that fellowship is the word of God. Okay? That's the critical component of of the abiding life in Jesus. It's this fellowship with him through the word of God. There's a... There's a story in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 10, that perfectly illustrates the essence of the abiding life. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, Jesus pays a visit to the home of Martha and Mary. And uh, Mary or Martha immediately engages Jesus with hospitality, which was common in that day. That's exactly what you would do when you would have a guest in your home. You immediately go to work with with hospitality. So Martha immediately engages Jesus with hospitality. Now, it's not said in the text, but presumably she was probably preparing a meal for Jesus. Mary, on the other hand, is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he has to say. And Martha is upset with this. She sees Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and she says to Jesus, don't you care that I'm doing all of this work by myself? Can you tell Mary to help me, to lend me a hand? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. I mean, you know you're in trouble when he uses your name twice. Right? It's like when your parents would use your middle name. Right? You knew you were in trouble then. Martha, Martha. You are troubled, you're worried about a great many things, but only one thing is necessary, and Mary has made the better choice, and I'm not going to take that away from her. In other words, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, Martha, you are so distracted in your service to me at this very moment. Your sister Mary has made a better choice, 
and I am not going to deprive her of this opportunity by asking her to help you in your hospitality. See, what we see in that moment and in that story is the essence of the abiding life. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word, listening to what he has to say, taking the position of a disciple. Mary is is actually in the position of a disciple in the first century. She's sitting at the feet of her teacher, listening to his word, being receptive to that word, and then responding to it in a positive way. That is the essence of discipleship. Or that is the essence of the abiding life. Sure, their service. Uh, Jesus, you know, wasn't secluded his entire ministry with the Father. He was also serving. But what we see here is the essence of abiding in Jesus is listening to his word, listening to what he's teaching, being receptive to those words, and then responding in a positive way. And it is through this kind of relationship that, that uh, the Father comes in and he lifts up the unproductive branch, and puts them in a fruit-bearing position. Here's how he does it. Let me illustrate it this way. You remember uh, a few weeks ago in Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, I believe it was verse 11 or verse 12, the Apostle Paul said that my message is not from a human source, but I learned it directly from Jesus Christ. In other words, what he's claiming there is, I didn't go to the other apostles after I, I came to faith in Christ. I didn't go to the other apostles. I didn't go to anyone else to learn my message. I learned the gospel and I learned all the implications of the gospel directly from Jesus Christ. He's saying he received direct revelation from the resurrected Christ uh, as, as far as his message, message is concerned. And then a few verses later, he said, after he came to faith in Christ... He spent three years in Arabia and Damascus. So this is the time when he was away for three years. He's in Arabia and then later he's in Damascus. This is when he's meeting with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus has given him all of this special revelation. Paul is, is, is a new believer in Christ. He has just come to faith in Jesus after his Damascus Road experience. He's a brand new believer. And now he's meeting with Jesus and Jesus is just pouring into him all kinds of special revelation, all this direct revelation about the gospel and, and, and the implications of the cross and the resurrection. And Paul is growing and growing and growing and growing until he reaches a point that he can start bearing the fruit that God is looking for. That's how the father comes into the life of a new believer And he lifts them up. He puts them in a fruit-bearing position, allowing them to grow until they reach a point where they start producing the kind of fruit that God is looking for. And the key to doing that is having a receptive attitude toward the word of God. And so Paul, as you know, after that three years is up, he returns to Jerusalem. And then later on, several years later, because he needed more growth several years later, he ended up becoming a missionary. And, and all of this stuff that God had been pouring in him, that's the stuff we find in books like Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians. You see, that's how the father lifts up the young believer and puts them in a place where they can start growing. And then after they start growing... Jesus tells us that the father prunes the branch so that it can produce more fruit. This is just an echo of Psalm 1. You you remember in Psalm 1, the blessed person, the psalmist tells us what the blessed person does not do. And then he tells us what the blessed person does. The blessed person delights in the law of the Lord, delights in the word of God, and they meditate on that word day and night. 
Now, in the first first century, this idea of meditation, you know, we hear the word meditation. It means different things to different people. But what the writer meant when he talked about meditation is this idea that we're we're hearing God's word. We're listening to it. We're reading it. and, And we take that word in and we're pondering it in our heart. We're rolling it around in our heart over and over and over again until it affects our heart. And then it pours forth through our words and our actions. That's what it means to meditate. Taking it in, the word is, is, is forming us, it's transforming us, it's shaping, it's reshaping us, and then it pours itself out in what we say and what we do. And the psalmist tells us that the person who does this, the person who delights in God's word, and the person who meditates in God's word day and night, becomes what? A fruit-bearing tree planted by rivers of water. And that's the picture of stability. That's the picture of life. You think about a fruit-bearing tree, it provides fruit that nourishes other people. You know, and then later on he talks about the chaff, and the, you know, the chaff is, is, is worthless. But the person who meditates on God's word, who delights in God's word, takes it in and it starts shaping and reshaping them. Then they become a fruit-bearing tree planted by rivers of living water, enhancing the lives of other people. See, and that's how the father goes to work on the fruit bearing tree. He then begins to prune that particular Christian, you know, pruning away all of the stuff that hinders growth. I mean, when you think about it, you're taking in God's word and you probably you've had this experience. You take in God's word. You're listening to it. You're you're constantly pondering it. You're thinking about it. And then guess what happens? Suddenly that word starts giving birth to new aspirations in life, right? New values in life. It starts giving birth to a new vision of how your life can, and you start thinking differently about how your life can be used. And then you start having new patterns of thinking. At the same time, that same word is pruning old aspirations, old values, maybe an old vision for how your life should work, old patterns of thinking. See, that's how the father moves in and starts pruning away the old things so that we can continue to produce more fruit. You remember Peter. So here you see he says, already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Jesus spoke this to the disciples right before he went to the cross. You see, and what he means here is that I've already pruned you. It doesn't mean that's the only time they're going to be pruned. But he said, you're at a place now that you remember the disciples have already produced some fruit in their life. And Jesus says, you're already clean. You're already pruned. He puts them in a position to bear more fruit. See, you remember um, there was a point right before Jesus uh, was arrested and uh, Peter, uh, as only Peter can do, Peter said, you know, I will never forsake you. I'll die for you if I have to. And Jesus said to him, he said, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. That was that was a word of pruning. You see what Peter needed. He was already producing fruit in this life. But what he needed is to have his arrogance and his pride pruned away so that he could have humility and produce more fruit. And then you remember what happened later on in the story? Peter denies Jesus three times, rooster crows, and what does he do? He weeps bitterly because the pruning hurt. But it put Peter in a position to bear more fruit. And what you see then is that this disciple that denied Jesus Christ, we see him in Acts chapter 2 and he's preaching the gospel and 3,000 people get saved. 
And then later on, he gets pruned again. You know, there's the vision of the sheet falling down with all of the animals. And and God has to prune him some more with his understanding uh, of the Christian life. And the way that he does that is through his word. He lifts up the unproductive Christian, puts them in a place where they can start bearing fruit. And then once they start bearing fruit, that same word goes in and it starts pruning away old attitudes, old thoughts, so that we can bear more fruit. And all of this takes place as we stay in fellowship with Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word, taking it in and responding appropriately. Look at what else he says. He says here in in verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And he goes on saying verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I heard a pastor say one time that a branch that is not abiding in Jesus is just a stick. Right. And sticks don't produce fruit. Jesus tells us here in in verses four and five, he says, listen, as you abide in me. You will produce the kind of fruit that God is looking for. You will bear this kind of fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from fellowship with Jesus Christ, apart from taking the posture of a disciple, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to that word, being receptive to that word, allowing it to come in and to shape and reshape, form and transform us as Christians. Apart from this, it is impossible for you and I to produce the kind of fruit that God is looking for. We're just sticks, right? And look what Jesus said about sticks. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away or he is cast out like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Here at the beginning where he says the person does not abide in me, he is thrown away. He is cast out is what the word means. The idea there is they are cast out of fellowship with Jesus. See, there's no... There's no possibility of being in fellowship with Jesus apart from listening to his word and taking that place as a as a disciple. And he says, once you're out of fellowship, you're like a branch and you wither and branches like this are gathered together and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. Now, what Jesus is referring to here, he's referring to a practice in the autumn post harvest. And during the the autumn season, post-harvest, the vine dresser would go into the vineyard and it would be a season of severe pruning. This is the dormant season. The fruit's been produced. They've gathered the fruit. And now the vine dresser is in in the vineyard and it's a season of severe pruning, the cutting away of branches. So they cut the branches away and they pile the branches up and they burn them. It's a picture of the uselessness of our Christian life if we are not abiding in Jesus. Sometimes this verse is, unfortunately, is misunderstood to think what Jesus is saying here is, if you don't produce fruit, you're not really a Christian, and so you're going to be eternally condemned. Or it's sometimes interpreted to mean that if you don't produce fruit, Jesus comes in, the Father comes in, and he severely disciplines us. But what Jesus is referring to here and what he's emphasizing is the uselessness of our Christian lives if we are not abiding in Jesus. You see, in that day, once the branches were pruned, 
There was no other use for them. It's not as if the, the vine dresser could repurpose the branches for something else. The point of the branch was to produce fruit. And so once they would go through this severe pruning and they would make a pile of branches, there's nothing else to do with them. They serve no meaningful purpose. And so the vine dresser would burn them. And what Jesus is telling us is that if we're not abiding in him, we serve no meaningful purpose in this world. No meaningful purpose to our Christian existence. When I was, um, when I was a kid, I loved visiting my grandparents' farm. They, uh, they lived in a little town called Gordo, Alabama. I'm sure all of you have heard of it. Um, and, and on that farm, they had, you know, animals, all kinds of animals. As a kid, I, I loved it. The cows and the pigs, the chickens, the rooster. I had a rooster attack me one time as a kid. They still make me nervous. Left this huge scratch on my face. But to be fair, I was aggravating the rooster. And so he had had enough of it. Had a barn full of feral cats. I mean, they were vicious. And he also had a horse. I remember he had put me on the horse. He'd walked me around the property. I just thought it was the greatest thing. And they grew a lot of vegetables as well. You know, butter beans, black-eyed peas, corn, you know, what you name it. And there was also a lot of fruit on the farm. Uh, things like strawberries. There were grapes. There, were, there was a pear tree I loved climbing as a kid. But he also had several peach trees. And I remember one year, one of the peach trees was infected with some kind of parasite. And it stopped producing peaches. Now, there were a few leaves still on the tree, but the tree stopped producing peaches. And so my grandfather cut it down. He cut the tree down. He uprooted the stump. He put it on a burn pile and he burned it. Now, why would he do that? Because the peach tree served no meaningful purpose to him or anyone else if it's not producing peaches. The whole point of the peach tree is to produce peaches. And the peaches enhance the health of people who eat it. And once the tree stopped producing that kind of fruit, it served no meaningful purpose for my grandparents or anyone else in the community. The only thing left to do was to cut it down and to burn it. And what Jesus is saying here is that if we are not in fellowship with him and producing, bearing the kind of fruit that God is looking for, we serve no meaningful purpose in this world. We have no value to other people. Uh, if, again, if you want to use a leadership term like you've heard before, uh, we are not adding value to anyone else. We are not a benefit or an asset to the life of other people. Our meaning is found in the fruit that we bear that is used to enhance the lives of other people. You see, apart from produce, producing the fruit of the spirit, what other value are we going to bring to the world in which we live? You know, when you think about it, remember last week we talked about the footprint of death. You know, uh, Paul tells us in Romans 5 that sin entered the world through one man. And after sin entered the world, what followed was death, spiritual death, not just physical death, but spiritual death. You know, we live in a world that is in the grip of spiritual death. I mean, you see things like uh, broken families, broken communities, broken individuals, you know, broken homes. You see things like hopelessness, uh, uh, destructive anger, whatever it may be. When these things are present... Death is present, you see. And the only meaningful purpose, the only purpose that we have, our, our existence is meaningful, is when we are producing the kind of fruit that brings healing and refreshment to a community like that. Um, a couple of centuries ago, uh, sailors would often, uh, sailors who were on long voyages, 
would often suffer from the disease scurvy. And uh, scurvy, it was called the scourge of the seas in the 1800s. It's believed that uh, tens of thousands of sailors died from scurvy. Uh, when you had scurvy, you, know, you would have things like uh, you know, um, uh, gum disease, a weakened immune system that would often lead to your death, joint pain, chronic fatigue, and so on. And the disease was caused by a lack of vitamin C. And they eventually discovered that if you eat lemons or other citrus fruits, it would cure the disease. And when you think about what God has called us to do and to bear fruit, we're like a spiritual citrus orchard in the midst of a world that's dying from spiritual scurvy. And when we're not bearing fruit, the love, the joy, the peace, we serve no meaningful purpose to people who are spiritually dying. We have nothing else to offer to them. You see, we're just branches that are gathered together that are good for a burn pile. And so it's only as we abide in him that we provide this kind of enrichment, this kind of enhancement to the lives of other people. Now look, to sweeten the pot just a bit, look what Jesus goes on to tell his disciples. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So ask whatever. What does the word whatever mean? It means whatever, right? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You know what Jesus is telling his disciples? He said, whatever you ask for, I'm going to give all of it to you. That's what he says. Whatever you pray for, it's a promise. Everything you pray for, I'm going to give it to you. As long as it's in the right context. Here's the context. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. See, here's how it works. We're taking in Jesus's word. We're listening to it. We're keeping the posture of a disciple. We're listening to our teacher. He's, he's, he, we're listening. We're looking at his, reading his teachings. We're taking it in. It's going in. It's shaping. It's reshaping us. And we suddenly, become, we suddenly become the kind of people that start talking to God about the things he wants to talk about. I heard a pastor put it this way. He said, if your, prayers aren't being an, if your prayers aren't being answered, then maybe you should talk to God about the things he wants to talk about. And see, the way that happens is that we're taking the word in. We're taking what Jesus said and we're taking what his apostles said. It shapes us. It reshapes us. It changes us. And suddenly we have the mind of Christ. We have the heart of God. And we start talking to God about the things God wants to talk about. We start praying for the things that are already on God's heart. The very things that God wants to give to people. And so when we ask those things, he's going to grant every single prayer we ask. As long as we're abiding in Jesus. And then he goes on to say, he says, listen, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, when we engage our community, uh, spirit filled Christians who are producing the fruit of the spirit. Uh, we are investing these spiritual blessings in the lives of other people. We're producing the kind of fruit that enhances the lives of other people. That brings honor to God. That brings glory to God. When they see us engaging them with words and actions that are characterized by love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, patience, the fruit of the Spirit, when we engage people like that, they see what God is like. 
they see how good God is. They see what kind of father it is that can change their life and the joy and the healing that he can bring to their life. When we live this way, when we have words, we're speaking all of these words that are characterized by the fruit of the spirit. And we're engaging people with all of these actions that are that are characterized by the fruit. It's like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of little good Samaritans going out and binding up the wounds of our community and our world. And that kind of work brings honor to the father. People see that and they think your God did this for you. Your God changed you into that kind of person. Well, I want to know your God then. Your God is that good to people who are broken. Well, I want to know your God. Can you tell me about him? Your God changes people's lives this way. Your God loves people. He comes into the midst of brokenness and he heals them. And, and he, he brings this wholeness to their life. He grants, I want to know that God. See, that is what honors Jesus Christ. When we live in, in such a way, we're bearing this kind of fruit. Bringing this kind of fruit to bear upon our community. So let me ask you, are you abiding in Jesus? Are you abiding in Jesus today? You know, there's really no other way to live as a Christian. I, I would hate personally to stand before Jesus on that final day and realize that my life was of no value to the world because I was not abiding in Jesus, not producing the kind of fruit that's going to enhance the lives of other people. I, I would hate to, to stand before Jesus and Jesus tell me, Mark, you would have been at home in the church of Laodicea. You were neither hot nor, hot nor cold. He didn't provide healing or refreshment to people. See, it's the only way to live. And both Jesus and Paul, as I mentioned last week at the end of the message, both Jesus and Paul talked about the kind of rewards for the person who's living this way. He's standing before Jesus here and well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, because we, we bore the kind of fruit that enhanced the lives of other people. There is no other way to live. I want to encourage you this morning that, you know, if you're not abiding in Jesus to renew that fellowship with him. Jesus is waiting. He he wants that kind of relationship, that kind of fellowship. Assume the, the posture of a, of a disciple listening to Jesus, taking in that word, drawing closer to him in friendship. Uh, it's the same with God, drawing closer to him in friendship. And as we do that, we bear the kind of fruit that our community needs, that our world needs. Our world is in the footprint of death. And what they need is the life-giving fruit that is produced from abiding in Jesus. Father, uh, we want to thank you for your love for the nations, your love for the world. Uh, it's so clear, the most famous verse in the Bible, you love the world so much that you sent Jesus into this world. Father, you've granted us new life through Jesus Christ, the abiding life. You've given us your word. This entire passage, Jesus is inviting us to have a fruitful life. He's inviting us to draw near to you, uh, to draw near to him so that we bear fruit. Uh, Father, I pray that we have a, a heart, a, a passion for those who are in need and for the nations, uh, people who are in the grip of death. You've blessed us with, with uh, all sorts of spiritual blessings, and now you have given us the wonderful privilege of taking those blessings and reinvesting them into the lives of others for their benefit. Uh, Father, what a wonderful day it'll be to stand before you and to see those lives that have been changed because we invested the blessings you've given us into their lives. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the disciple-making mission. And for those this morning, Father, who, who um, 
for one reason or another who are out of fellowship with you, I pray that through your loving care, you will bring them back into fellowship. For those who don't know Jesus, uh, Father, we pray that you will draw them to the cross, that they see the Son of God who has died for their sins, and that they see that you love them so much that Jesus died for their sins so that they can now be in a relationship with you by faith. Uh, You are a God of life. And you bring life and you provide life through Jesus. And so, Father, thank you for all that you've given to us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.